Hello, and welcome to the Four Bronx Community Podcast. My name is Laura Levine Pinedo, and I am the founder and the director of the Four Bronx Project. My journey has led me to such amazing neighbors with such interesting stories, and I am ready to share them with you. I invite you to join us as we meet members of our community, such as small business owners and so much more. Let's support local, and let's have a cup of tea together and chat about all things community. Good morning and welcome to episode five of the Four Bronx Community Podcast. We are joined today with Gary Axelbank. Gary, welcome. Hey, it's nice to be with you, Laura. This is a very special episode because Gary is a journalist and you may know him from BronxNet. So Gary Axelbank is a New York City journalist, disc jockey, and TV personality based in the Bronx. You were born in the Bronx, right? I Well, I was born at Mount Sinai in Manhattan, but I have lived in the Bronx my entire life. And you are the host of Bronx Talk and the Bronx Buzz on BronxNet? The, the, those are correct. Um, titles and that is correct information. Okay, a public educational and government access cable TV network. Uh, yes, it is the Bronx's community network um, and it was founded uh, and opened in 1993. And the Bronx Talk is a weekly show that features politicians, business leaders, and community stakeholders in a half-hour interview on the issues facing everything the Bronx. During election cycles, the show is often home to debates between Bronx politicians. Um, you have done over a thousand episodes through a show's 25-year history. Is that correct? Uh, th- that is almost correct. I think the number is up to 1,400 shows. Ooh. More than 90 political debates, if you could imagine that. And this is a very tough job, but here you are doing it. Uh, I, for me now, it's pretty natural. And I mean, you can't go in there every week and every week have it be a tough job. Uh, but this is where, and, and even doing this is where I'm personally most comfortable. Okay, that's that's amazing. So you went to D. Wick Clinton High School. I did, proud governor. Back when it was all boys, right? It was all boys. Yeah, um, and then you worked alongside uh, Howard Stern for a little bit. Well, I mean, you want me to tell you a background about that? Yeah, like this is the like, answer I feel to that off. is yes. Oh, you did? That's so cool. <laughs> the answer is that is yes. Uh, I was, a, and and what was interesting to me is that you said under the list of things you've said that I've done, you said I, I was a DJ. I think a lot of people don't know that. I did not know that. You did until know this that. until yesterday. And so my background, really, in my entree into broadcasting was um, uh, was music. I mean, I just loved music as a kid growing up in, you know, let's see, in, in the 60s and early 70s. You know, music really guided our lives. Not to say it doesn't guide the lives of young people growing up today, but I think even more so. And um, so I always wanted to be a radio DJ, and I was a radio DJ. Uh, I could go back. I started the career in... Uh, 1976, so this is my 47th year in broadcasting. People don't do the math now, but that is true. And... um uh, and so I was a DJ in um, Ocean City, Maryland was my first job. um, Do they have the best crab? uh, They say they do. But they don't. (laughs) I don't recall Okay. I do remember going to a, a really nice crab shanty where you, you know, broke open the the crabs and yeah, and, all that, and, the all bucket, the, the bib, the whole right, thing. Right, right, right. And thinking it was very good. But I was there to just kind of, I lived in a trailer and kind of just get my career started. Anyway, so I did Ocean City, Maryland, Seaford, Delaware. And then um, uh, I, I left that station and God, I don't even remember uh, why, but I left that station after two or three years. And um, uh, I got a job at um, WRNW, hired by Howard Stern, who was the program director of that station. That's in Briarcliff Manor, New York, which is now the peak 107.1. Okay. And um, uh, Howard then left to seek his fortune. I could tell you memories about things that we saw him do. Uh, I can only imagine. Well, he, he was really a lot more placid than he is now because he was in the structure of kind of a... He was the manager of his station. and um, But one thing I do remember, he was on during the daytime, and I would come in at 10 o'clock at night. One night I came in, and the window in the studio that led to the outside was broken. 
And I was like, wow, what happened here? It was cardboard over it. And they said, well, there was a bee, and Howard took his boot off to kill the bee and went, <laughs> <laughs> and went right through the window. But um, So then Howard left to seek his fortune. He used to practice all the bits that he does, or that he did then, uh, close the production studio and work on his audition tape to seek his fortune. And then they hired me as the program director. And when I look back now, and I hadn't thought of this really ever, I was 24 years old and the program director of a progressive, one, rock, a progressive rock station, one of the last bastion of progressive rock stations in America. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That is so, so cool. Now, I want to get like a little bit personal with you, you know, just as a, a person that lives in the Bronx. Go to what it. What is your favorite childhood memory in the Bronx? Um, goodness gracious. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would say the most consistent memory of growing up in the Bronx, the, the thing or things that tied me to my friends, to my social life, <clears throat> excuse me, um, was playing in uh, the PS95 schoolyard. And because we played stickball every day. I mean, think, think of this life as, as a youngster growing up and what we would like for our kids now. We, we had gym during school where we, you know, as a child and a, as a young adult, even in middle school and even high school, we had gym every day in school. We would go to the after-school center and play basketball and hang out there after school and then three nights a week there Monday, Wednesday and Friday there was the night center at PS95 so I spent all that time growing up there during the day in the afternoons um, if maybe we didn't go to the after school center and weekends we would play stickball in that school it was a big box right and on so it's a school so there's windows in between the windows are bricks because they hold up the building right? right on every brick of every window was a square of a a, um, a a batter's square balls and strikes square okay and you could go there on any weekday afternoon and the entire thing would be li lined up with kids playing individual stickball games so you'd have eight or ten or however many and the things were always filled and and you know it, it, we changed as we got older these these are the memories that I have the, the, as we got older um, if you hit it past the pitcher it was a single off the fence is a double over the fence is a triple hit the building across the street was a homer then as we got older right. we moved things back so you hit the fence as a single over the fence is a double second floor is a triple fourth floor is a homer and then as we became young teens uh, you had to roof it to get a homer and then hit it on the roof and then of course we'd run up the stairs and go to the roof and how many windows did you guys break I, I did not break one because there was another whole game that was played the length of the schoolyard while those were going on called Long Stick. And I did once hit it into somebody's open window in the building over there. Was everybody I, okay? <laughs> I, I don't know. You didn't I, have I, a, I didn't see the police You didn't have somebody reports. sticking their head out screaming <laughs> yeah, at you. At the age of 14. <laughs> so so um, that was is my memory. And then, of course, in what is known as Fort Independence Park, it was Pigeon Park. And there were two basketball courts, and that's where we hung out and played basketball and made up a punch ball field. And Even when I was growing up here, like in the early 2000s, all the kids went to Pigeon Park. Really? Oh, yeah, that was the Pigeon place. Park. Pigeon Park. Wow. Yeah, I wonder how that got its name. That would be a folk history. If anybody thing. knows, let us know. <laughs> um, so this is the Van Stop Cortland Village we're talking about, right? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go this ahead. is the Van Cortland Village we're talking about. Yes. And you still currently live in Van Cortland Village. I, I my family has um, a history in in Amalgamated and Park Reservoir. My grandparents were first cooperators in Amalgamated Housing in the 20s. Oh, that's so cool. So they moved in when um, the immigrants came and formed the Workmen's Circle. It was like a, um, it, it was socialistic in, in theory. I mean, that's a dirty word now, but in fact, um, and, and they created a neighborhood. This is a lesson for every neighborhood. They created a neighborhood based on their education program. So the, the head of the education program was a trained Juilliard violinist named Herman Liebman. And um, 
he put in, we have a theater, we had the Vladic Hall Theater, uh, there were theater groups and there were music groups, and, and that's why I believe, firmly believe, that's why the community was so stable through all of the years. Not to say that we, or like others, didn't have problems, but that's, it still is a relatively stable community. Then, based on its success, when the state created Mitchell Lama, uh, housing, uh, which was designed for working middle class people. And where is this? That's where I live now, and okay. that's where I grew up, right up the block on Sedgwick Avenue. Okay. Um, uh, my my parents were first cooperators there. So when they opened that building in 1957, we we I lived in Amalgamated for three years. We moved to Park Reservoir. And um, that's where I was raised. And then after I started my broadcast career, met my wife, Suzanne, we wanted to find a place to live. And we lived in the Amalgamated Towers. And then when we had kids, we moved back into the building I grew up in. How cool which is Which is that? a little <laughs> crazy. A little crazy, but full circle, right? Yes. Yeah, Sigmund Freud, always working back there. I don't know. <laughs> How many kids do you have, Gary? I have two children, uh, both of which are adult children. And I'm very proud of both of them. Uh, my son, Evan, uh, is a TV news reporter, taking after his father to some degree. I'm not a news reporter. I'm just a talk show host. But I'm a better talk show host than he is, and he's a better <laughs> straight news reporter. Uh, but he lives in Tampa, works at Fox 13 in Tampa. And um, his wife, um, Haley, is um, the, one of the anchors, in fact, one of the lead anchors at the station. So they have now our first granddaughter, um, Kennedy Juliet. Um, and um, uh, so that's Evan and Haley and Kennedy. And my daughter, Sean, um, currently lives in Brooklyn, but drum roll, please. She, thank you very much. She uh, is moving uh, back to Tampa, um, actually, within a week or two. We're a little sad to see her go, but she wants to be with her brother and her niece. Right. And uh, she's a fitness instructor and, and an outstanding fitness instructor, works at a number of different places and wants to change her life a little bit. And so she's going to be with family down there. That's awesome. You should Thank be you so proud. I, I am very proud. Um, I suppose that at a point you bring them up, but then how they turn out is their responsibility. And they're both um, beautiful, wonderful people. I always wanted to start a company on a side note for empty nesters. You can rent me or somebody else out and we could be your child for a week oh, or so. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of people miss their kids. So you can rent, oh, oh, you can oh, rent an adult child oh, 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 and you can cook for I me and, and you know we can go to the store and things like that. And you know, right. it helps. And it's I, a win-win. I can teach you right from wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's the main job. Getting the food, well, for some people, this is more difficult than others. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd be glad to teach you about life. So, getting into like a more professional um, area, how do you ensure your work is accurate and factual? Uh, there is, I, I, I have taught and teach TV performance. There is no substitute for research. And you can set aside time in your day to do the research or because I've been doing it for so long, um, you can incorporate it. It becomes part of my daily habit. Read the times before bed every night. Make sure I, I open up and read all of the local papers. Um, you know, just have my antenna always up. That's one way to do it, and I would say in a way I'm obsessed about it, but it's important because if a guest comes on the program or I appear on somebody else's program and they bring right. up something, it'd be good if I had some perspective on it. And so you just generally educate yourself. I don't think I was a great student um, because there were subjects I just couldn't. I didn't want, I probably could have gotten my head around, but I didn't want to. And so um, uh, I, I just absorb as much as I can. And of course, having done this, I mean, I started Bronx Talk in 1994. Having done it for 29 years, I get emails from every organization. So I'm like, wow, they're starting a, you know, a virtual healthcare system and in the Bronx, which actually is a show we're working on doing. And, um, uh, and, and then, it, so that gives me an edge because maybe not everybody did all that research. So there's no substitute 
for researching thoroughly, and in my case, just incorporating it into my daily life. It's just now part of me. Okay. And, like, what is a common myth about your job in general, would you say? <laughs> um, um, maybe because people perceive fame differently than I do. Like, yes, I know I'm well-known. My name is distinctive enough. It's not like Johnny Smith and there's a hundred of them. I mean, there's only one Gary Axelbank. I'm aware of that. Um, and so... Like there was, there was a gentleman, and I, he meant well, and I really I, I appreciated it so much. But when he saw me in person, he his jaw dropped. He was like, uh, you know, it, it was like unbelievable. And he and he was like, oh my god, i you know, and, and I'm like, first of all, I'm not Paul McCartney. Second of all, you're not. <laughs> no, if you heard me sing, you'd, you'd know right away. But um. And, and I said, look, man, I really appreciate it, and, and it's great. So I think that's the, the most common myth is, you know, um, is, is people's perception of what it is. And for me, it's, it's like my life's work. I, I'm good at it. I can sit in front of a microphone, or if we, were like, if we were on camera, I could do the same thing that I'm doing now because I've been doing it for so long, and so it, it's just part of me, even though other people perceive right. it as like, wow, that's the guy who does this, that, or the other. But also you have to create like a sort of thick skin because I'm sure there's a lot of people uh -huh. who, <laughs> you know, speak negatively or, you know, they try to use you to uh, get what they want and all these really things. really address that. Stadium, that is really and, good um, and the water filtration plant in the South Bronx, I had a morning show where it was like this looks, like a podcast looks, where I just would sit alone in a little room and take, maybe it was the first podcast, there was a two-hour show. It was day. a podcast before, before a we podcast. Had a podcast. Yeah. So yeah, it was like 1999 through 2005. And I... Um, said things um, because I believed that I, I thought that, and I still think the filtration plant was a mistake I also felt that um, the way the Yankee Stadium was handled was was not done with the best Bronx interests and I said so thinking that I would be protected but I work at a community station and there's a lot of politics involved and essentially they, the, 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 the borough president at the time ended that show got that show ended because Gary was get, I was on from 10 to noon and they'd replay it from 10 p.m. to midnight every night of the week. I got a ton of coverage. So if I said something, um, and so it got me in trouble. And, um, and I'd lost a job that I was getting paid for. And it was a good job. It was the precursor when, to, when BronxNet started uh, the TV show Open. Um, because now they said, wow, we, can, we have an audience in the morning. Since that time, and that was 2005, I have learned how to handle all these issues without getting myself in trouble like that. So... Um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I have, I'm very opinionated. People who know me, I'm very opinionated, especially about issues and things in the Bronx. But on TV, where I'm responsible for doing a job that I get paid for, um, then I make sure that everybody who comes on, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of their point of view, gets asked the same level difficulty question. Right, and gets, you know, equal time to speak. I, I, here's the inside. You can learn from this, and everybody can learn from this. The way I have done it, when there's a really controversial race, and every candidate has, even incumbents, have something that they got to talk about. Right. I, I list the questions, and then I balance them. Hard, 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 medium, 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 easy, 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 and I make sure that each candidate gets the same dose of that right. question. And it must so be so nobody can say you asked him a tough one, but you didn't ask. I can't him a tough even imagine one. the tension of this to make sure that they each get like you know the amount of time, and you know even if you personally favor one over the other, to not exhibit this and just create a fair space. So um, yeah, it can it can be difficult. I can tell you, which I've told this story a thousand times in this video of it. Um, the the craziest moment was, I think, 90, 1995 and 1996, former Senator Pedro Espada mm -hmm. was debating uh, uh, 
I think maybe Rosado was the incumbent. I forget which was David Rosado. And in the middle, and I was live at the time. It was 9 p.m. And, and it was live. So there was no fail safe. Like now we generally tape them. Right. So if something happens or there's a technical thing, a spotted security guard gets up in the middle of, of, of the program and starts walking toward the set. He was, of course, in the audience. And he, and he crosses in front of the camera line, so he's actually on TV at that time. Because okay. he, like, walks in. And I'm like, what are you, are you, are you kidding me? What <laughs> right. is going on? Angie, Angie, our engineer, is freaking out. <laughs> he gets about halfway across the set, and I'm like, excuse me, he pulls a hatchet out of his pocket. And I'm like... I, I, you know, like uh, now oh I'm thinking, my is this my, like, like if I pulled a hat, God forbid, and I would never would have pulled a, a weapon here. Right? Is it your living room, or can you start right? Like, do you have to protect Angie because it's your show? Right. So, and then he gets close to his spotter, and it's a plastic hatchet. And you can see it on tape, and his spotter takes it in his hand. It was a gimmick that he set up, and he tapped on the hatchet, and he said, it's plastic, viewers, don't worry. And basically, he was saying, this is the hatchet man of the Democratic Party, and I wanted to show, because that's all. Because <laughs> that's all you I like the sweat trickling down can your you back. Imagine, can you imagine? Nobody has ever topped Is that. there a video of this? I'm there gonna, is. A, oh, I God. I have, I have to go with this. The, the way to find it for anybody is on YouTube. You can look up Bronx Talk 20th Anniversary Political, uh, Debates, excuse me. Excuse me, um, because for our 20th anniversary, uh, we put together reels of the best of, and that clip is on there. Well, I hope you did not bring a plastic hatchet here. I know. I always test, ask my uh, my um, uh, guests if they did you bring any weapon after. No weapon. I never asked guests this. Now I have to start asking this. <laughs> but I'll tell you this: I may not look like it, Gary, but I can run if need be. Trust uh, me. Yeah, yeah. I'm a girl from the Bronx. If that's I'm being chased, right, I can right, run. Right, but you'll never right. catch me on a treadmill. Well, you're protected because Angie opens the door, <laughs> and you're well, well back. Um, so it so, hasn't gotten worse than that. And because I've been able to balance things, I think I get the respect of people like uh, Darcel Clark ran for um, a re-election and Tess Cohn uh, ran a ran a, a, a you know a, a, a valid challenge to her and I don't think the incumbents they in that situation she doesn't want to come on but she said to me I will do it because it's you and that is tremendous amount of respect because she knew I would treat her well I, right. would, I I had conversations with we allow the candidates to submit questions so I know what's on their mind and what's important to them and if there's an issue in the somewhere in a you know a park in the Bronx that I don't know about I find out about it and maybe it's a valid thing and so I researched uh, Tess Cohn submitted a lot of stuff in Darcel's um, uh, office I spoke to them for a long time and we put together a debate and the voters and that's a great testament to you um, and okay. your and your skill and your talent. But I have to ask you, who or what has been your favorite interview in your career? Oh my goodness! And I know it could be me when we were on the Bronx Buzz, but you know, your second favorite. It could be. It could be. <laughs> well, you know what? If you're really asking about my broadcast career, um, there are two. Uh, but neither of them are on Bronx Talk. Um, one is with Richie Havens, the um, great folk guitarist who was the first performer at Woodstock. And on the 10th anniversary of Woodstock, he came to my TV show, uh, my radio show in Briarcliff Manor, and he talked about it. And on the way home, he needed a ride home, and he lived in Brooklyn. So I drove Richie Havens to of Brooklyn. Course. Of course. <laughs> on the 10th anniversary of Woodstock. And in the, as we're driving, it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. As we're driving, I remember this. It was right under, we know this area, right on the Deegan, right underneath the ramps. And he looked at the sky, and he said... This is exactly what the sky was like when I opened Woodstock. And he got tears in his eyes because it was exactly 10 years to the moment that he opened the, the historic Woodstock Festival. That is, and that was an amazing thing. The second one was uh, Ronnie Spector from the Ronettes, who was you know, just one of the founding members of rock and roll and pop music and everything else. And she came to, um, uh, to my radio show up there. Um, Yes, she was wearing a see-through top, which made it a little more interesting. <laughs> but, but, but as an interview, when she just passed, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago, and that interview resurfaced, and that was nice. And she was a Riverdale resident, right? 
I don't know. I'd never heard that. She was from Brooklyn. I don't know. It's possible. Uh, maybe. Um, but um, uh, on Bronx Talk, the favorite interview, goodness, out of 1,400. Um, I, you know, I told you I was going to put you on the spot yeah, here. I and I'm enjoying every second goodness, of it. Goodness, you know, here's one. Here's one that everybody will appreciate. I can't say it's the favorite, but it was a great... I interviewed um, uh, Arlene Alda, Alden, Alan Alda's wife, and he accompanied her to the studio. So that was really in, enjoyable. I interviewed Joan Jett back at the radio station when she... Wow. When she... Um, uh, she came to uh, WRNW with her first album and they were distributing them out of the back of a Cadillac and she came on to my show. And then I introduced her at the Left Bank in Mount Vernon, a former uh, rock and roll club. Um, but um, Leonard Bernstein's daughter, um, goodness, it's terrible that I can't think, I should look it up, I can't think of her first name. Um, Jamie Bernstein uh, was on with Bobby Sanabria, who um, had just done uh, his jazz remake of West Side Story, and she told a story. Now you know West Side Story, the the whistle starts the being. I, I can't whistle. And it was in her book, and I asked her about it. She said, "Yes, you know he got that." Her father was sitting in shul on Rosh Hashanah. And she heard the guy blow the chauffeur, and the, the, the sound of the chauffeur is doo doo, and that musical. Uh, I guess it's a it's a uh, I forgot a, um, I, I don't know the technical name, but that phrase is the musical foundation of everything in West Side Story. Not only that opening, where, that which which Leonard Bernstein got from sitting in synagogue on Rosh Hashanah hearing the chauffeur. That is such a cool thing to know. Maria. Boy, boy, it's all based it's all on based on, that. based on that, and that was the musical theme that Leonard Bernstein did for the greatest musical in the history of, of musicals. Is that amazing? Wow, that's like <laughs> so. She told us that story on Mic Drop. Yeah, right. that's like the coolest fact ever. And, the, and the, since you didn't ask, the guest that I want to have that I have not had oh, yes. tried is Dion. Dion Demucci. I want to get Dion from Dion in the Belmonts. He lives in Florida. I reached out to his agent a couple of times. It was just zero interest, and I feel bad. He's a rock and roll Hall of Fame guy, and of course founded doo-wop music. But I'm not worried about it. We just keep going. We'll, we'll get great people on. What has the biggest challenge one, been one that you're more. facing? David Dinkins. Having David, mayor, oh, the mayor. I've, I've he had, was the mayor when I was born. I've had David Dinkins. I think. Um, 1990? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, in the 90s. Uh, I had David Dinkins, Rudy Giuliani, and Eric Adams, three different mayors. Uh, de Blasio um, had an appointment for like whatever, two o'clock in the afternoon, and then called us and said, I can't be there till six o'clock. And to get a crew, and, and also he had plain language, Bronx language, jerked us around uh, for the schedule, and then we just never made it happen. But three, you've interviewed, you've interviewed three mayors. That's amazing. Right. Um, uh, Dinkins came on after he was mayor. Um, I mean, I could tell a Rudy Giuliani story. Dinkins came on after he was mayor um, to talk about the shooting of Amadou Diallo. And, and just review. What um, is the that. biggest challenge um, that you're facing Rudy in your was, role business right now, yeah, your projects, the, and how are you tackling things. it? We, we talked about the potential of um, the Yankees moving. Hmm. Uh, the biggest challenge... Right now is um, uh, getting good guests on the program because we've established a certain level and a certain standard for who comes on and what are the nature, what is the nature of the um, uh, of the conversation, so that it's you know it, it it reaches a high level and provides the Bronx with something you know important for people to use in their lives. It's much harder to find guests now than it used to be. Um, you know, I'm, I hold up my cell phone. I don't even know where I put it, but um, uh, uh, we have the greatest communication devices we could have ever imagined, and we communicate worse. People don't pick up the phone. They don't call each other. I was talking to a friend who was a college professor, and he said it used to be when you'd come into the room, you know, to start the class, everybody'd be talking to each other and gabbing and whatever college students do. Now you come in and it's silent because they're all looking at their phone. And if you are trying to get to 
an elected official, although many of them have very, very good, very interactive, uh, very accessible, um, you know, communication directors, but some don't. And if you want to get to an, a big organization, like um, you know, one of the the national gun um, associations, you got to fill out a form, wait for somebody to look at it and respond, and it, it takes forever. You can't just pick up the phone and say, "Hey, we're looking for a guest to appear on television to talk to a community of 1.4 million people about gun control." And it's very frustrating. It's, that's that's the most frustrating part of. Sometimes uh, for me, even on my level, I and mean, you know what, just forget it. If they're not answering the phone, I don't. Yeah, that's that's exactly. Right, but of course, if that's the one person that I need to do the show, right? You want, you know, and then you say, "Well, then I'll settle, settle for second best." Well, then you're cheating the audience. You're lowering the standard of what you do. And at this point, I'd rather keep it as high. So that's the most difficult. Not to say we don't do it. Um, you know, I'll tell you what we're working on now, and I'm, we have two of the new assembly members. Oh, well, it's probably going to already air by the time uh, this uh, airs. But, you know, we have two assembly members, getting them both scheduled at the same time to come to Lehman College. Is, in this day and age, is very difficult because now everybody says, well, I'll just do it virtually. Um, in the old days, it was never a question. If you're going to be on TV, you got to go to the studio. And now I'm, the other thing I'm really working at is to get the two owners of the the two legal cannabis stores that are opening up in the Bronx to tell us about their plans, tell us right. about their history, why they were selected, and what they expect to do because, of course, communities are concerned about it. Where are they located? There's one in Cretona. Uh, there's one opening up in Williamsbridge. There will be one eventually, as I understand, in the former uh, Mott Haven Grill uh, down oh, at really? one Mott Haven. I, I guess the Mott Haven Grill is closed. I haven't been there in a while. Um, and those are the three that I know of, but there's people talking. What do you, you know, what's a hidden gem in the Bronx right now in 2023? Uh, um, what's not a hidden gem? There's so the many, but which one stands out to well, you? Well, listen, if you're talking personally, it would be Van Cortlandt Park, because during the pandemic, uh, when there was no place to go, it was the only place to go. You know, because you, you there was enough space that you could be there and not have to be next to people. Um, and um, if you needed to get a little exercise, you, you know, I mean, if you wanted to recreate in some form. So, and it's not hidden. And of course, we all love Van Cortlandt Park. But um, to me, that's the first thing that, that comes up. And there are just so many restaurants of all kinds that I'm a big fan of local we, can we do a shout out for one absolutely my next question was what local businesses do you support well I, I, we, in fact Suzanne and I were just there last night Chente on uh, Riverdale Avenue the, the New Mexican place uh, God, excuse me I don't want to say that gosh uh, they make great margaritas I'll tell you and you did not bring me guacamole here this morning and you want Guacamole's been sitting in the fridge all night. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Um, That's the one but, thing. It's amazing, but you got to eat it right away. Yes, whatever. I, I hadn't, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I, I could have brought you uh, <laughs> S&S cheesecake. You know where S&S got its name? No. Uh, S means eat in Yiddish. So it was S and S. So like when they made the cake, it was S and S and S. Are you serious? That's yes. so cool. And my grandfather worked there. There you go. He did the refrigeration for them for yeah. many, many years, and I had no idea. Thank you, grandfather, for making many a birthday party and and many of times we visited work out very well and promote the Bronx. Yeah, well, that's where I grew up, two thirty eighth and Review Place. I did not know that. Right across outside the well, window, you see listen, the S and S. When we reverse the microphones, I will ask you all these questions. <laughs> Um, what, like, in general, what do you love most about this borough? What makes the Bronx stand out in New York City? I'll give you two things. One is the people. I mean, when I walk into a deli in a neighborhood, maybe that I don't go to that often, Burnside Avenue, and I'm just going into, I don't know, get a sandwich, get a drink, whatever it is. Um, uh, I feel like I know exactly who the people are who are working there, exactly who the people are who are standing there. So if we bump into each other or like, I, and you know me, I always would love to talk and I see, oh goodness, he didn't have change for a dollar or whatever. I feel like we can just have a conversation. Oh, here's a perfect example. Yesterday, uh, I parked with a, um, a, a, a little, you know, the little piece of paper in my car and I got back to the car and there was still an hour left because we left where we were going early. 
early. And the guy behind me was just pulling in. So I handed him the thing. And he was like, oh, wow, great. You know, because he now can park for an right, hour. Right, that's so nice. Paying. Well, you, you know, why not? And then he goes, oh, man, I owe you one. And we gave a fist bump. And it was just Bronx. It was just like... Bronx, the, we take care of each other. You know, right. that's... And, and he got it and I got it and we shared a moment and uh, we're, we're of different ethnicities, which of course you just accept. You know, it's just part of our lives. But there's no difference in who we are, you know that. So that's the best. The second thing, um, which I'm completely committed to, and I'm hoping to do more work outside of my TV work, uh, is Bronx music. And and in, in this borough, um, it is the blood that runs through our veins. Um, every neighborhood. Uh, every community has music somewhere. There's kids practicing or adults practicing or uh, just like you had it in front of the Bronx Burger House just the other day, there was jazz music playing. Um, that's really what makes this borough, because every place has music, but not like it. We invented it all. So yes, hip hop and doo-wop, but there's Latin jazz and there's fusion jazz and there's salsa. Believe me, it was here first. Right, you're very passionate about this, and I think this is a project that you want to work on coming up, right? To get uh, more music in? Yes, and actually I've been working, and I'm ready to work with Four Bronx and my friends at Fox and King, and of course the Bronx Music Heritage Center, where Bobby Sanabri is one of the co-directors, um, and there are many others. They, they, I got an email from someone I know, uh, her name is Linda Colazzo. We'll give her a shout out. She's an opera singer, and nobody. She's a young woman, and she's fantastic. She sang at Carnegie Hall recently, and she's teaching voice and piano. Who wouldn't want to learn from her? She's not teaching opera necessarily, right? But if you're a young person in the Bronx, she, I don't know if she still lives in Hunts Point or she grew up in Hunts Point. But how she she should be able to fill up right away. Who could who would be more popular than her? And I do see on Facebook a lot of people look for vocal coaches. And, of yeah. course. So what I'm hoping to one day do figure out how to create a a center for all that stuff so that people can find all those things because. You know, aside from the economics, aside from the developing business, aside from better healthcare, aside from everything else, if you build music programs, you will have a healthier people. That's what I believe. I was a radio DJ, so it's in my blood too. That's what I believe. But you know, there there are many artists because the Bronx has you know made so much music. Then there's many artists that I hear shouting out the Bronx and their music. They're making millions off the Bronx right now. Why do we not have a center like this already? Why do they not invest in the borough where they came from? Well, you know, there's a lot of criticism of J-Lo, um, but there are some, um, Fat Joe, you know, there are some. There who, are some. There are some who still do. Some of the, the Roots um, uh, hip-hop guys, and I'm not, it, it wasn't the music I grew up with, so I'm not as familiar as many people are, uh, but Grandmaster Kaz is around all the time. I mean, he's, they're around. There's going to be the huge um, celebration at Yankee Stadium and all that. Um, uh, you know, people, I guess, forget. Some people forget where they came from or whatever. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I, I want to tell you one thing which connects a lot of these things. People said to me, um, you were a radio DJ and now you're this. You know, you're a talk show host about politics and education and all those things. What, is there a connection? How, how do you go from one to the other? When I was a radio DJ at progressive stations, the DJs could choose the music. So a day like today, which is a nasty day, you'd play Riders on the Storm by the Doors because it was a rainy day. Riders and you would be thinking of the audience, what would they like to hear? Then on a sunny day, we'd play Summer in the City. Here comes the sun. That, oh, yeah. here comes the sun. Exactly. Right. So you would you would read what people needed or what you thought they needed and and play to them, literally play to them. Doing what I do now is really the same thing. People have said to me, how do you choose what you do? I say, I open the window and I look out the window and whatever I see, that's what I try to represent. Now, that's, that's a metaphor for reading the newspapers and right. going, but it's the same thing. I'm trying always to take the reality of people's lives and use my media, the media that I have a chance to be responsible for, um, to help them do better. Do better either mentally, uh, do better with information, do better because they know who to vote for, 
more, uh, do better because now, wow, well, look at that. There's a new health program that's going to help me. Or, gee, there's educational programs. This is the kind of school I want my kid to go to. That makes them better. And it's the same It's the same philosophy. And go this ahead. is why this is so important because people have questions that they may not be able to get answers to. And you are so like, you have such courage to ask questions that maybe we all want to ask. We're dying to ask and you do it. So I, you find I, answers for us. Many people who are involved in politics or connected in local political scene, and you could be one of them. It's never I am totally not one of them. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I call them before a debate and say, what do you want to hear them talk about? So that, that it's not my decision, but I'll call an advocate or somebody on a community board, say, what's going on out there? What, what, what do you think they should answer? What are the juicy questions? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that, is, um, that, that is part of it. What can I tell you? And so, like, just other than Chente, which you mentioned, what are other establishments here, especially in Riverdale, that you, you know, where do you, mm. where does Gary Axelbank mm. go? Like, where do you, mm. dry cleaning, like, what? Well, okay, so Grace Cleaners, which now is a smoke shop, apparently, um, I went there all the time, and I was thrilled because when they found out that I was on TV, and I, I, I never, I don't know that I have this anyway, they took, they took a, a photograph of me and they hung it up on the wall and I signed ah. it for them and, and right up until I, after they left because they closed and they actually opened up apparently in Manhattan somewhere but after they left I stuck my head in the window when everything was cleared out and my picture was still on the wall did you get it? I, well, the door was locked. I mean, I'd have to break in to get it. You could have it. played stickball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And um, uh, so that was one. And um, so then we moved down the block to, um, uh, uh, to what is it, Hannah Cleaners down the block. And uh, she's wonderful. They're so efficient and they're so nice. And so they're great. Um, Tiny from Tiny's Diner went to high school with my daughter. I believe Tiny is no longer involved, but um, so we've been there. Uh, we just dropped in uh, to the vet next door yesterday. I don't know what the oh, name is. Oh, he's such a nice Dr. Freed. Okay, yeah. we dropped in there because we have a cat that we got to figure out what to do with. And um, of course, Larry the locksmith. Um, I mean, I just bought tires at Mavis Tire. Um, I, um, uh, I was sorry that Cornblow closed. Uh, many years ago, um, but that new hardware store right down the block from Mavis near the... Where was Cornblow? That sounds familiar. Cornblow was on on the strip just um, south of 231st Street uh, on the corner there. It had been there for... Oh, wow. That brings back a memory. Yeah. I remember that. Um, so, you know, I, I shopped there. And, I, oh, here, here's what I really want to shout out to. Garden Gourmet. Okay. I want to shout out to Garden Gourmet. Uh, start here. If you look and on a busy day, there are seven or eight cashiers, people with jobs, standing there, making a living, being friendly, uh, doing a good job as cashiers, and talking to people. No self-checkout. No self-checkouts. And I don't, listen, stop and shop. There are some people who like it. There's no reason to have one person running the whole self-checkout area when you can have four different cashiers in the borough of the Bronx where people need jobs, and we have to do that. And I don't I, listen. I, I'm, people can go shop there, and, and and I'm sure they do a great job in providing food, and it's very very important that they do that. But in 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 all of the chain drug stores, they've started doing it. It's I very just think, frustrating. I, it, I just think it's not good for any of us. I, personally, and you guys know me, I'd rather just chat with somebody. Hey, how are you today? What's going on? And, you know, you're having a good day. And then if they do a good job packing, I'll throw them a buck. Who cares? It's almost like now if someone says, hi, how are you? You're looking at like, oh, my God, why are they talking that's, to me? That's what I'm saying. What do they want? But, but when, you, when, you, when you interact with a cashier, um, you have a reason to interact. So you say, how are you doing? What, how's, what, how's your day? I that's, do think that society, especially, you know, uh, pre, uh, not pre, but post pandemic, we're set up now to that we don't really need to leave our house for anything, you know, especially with restaurants, you can get delivery. You don't have, there's no need for interaction. You need AA batteries. You can go on an app and the guy brings you the AA batteries. What, what the large corporations, yes, what you're saying is totally true. What the large corporations did um, because of the pandemic was really shameful. So you used to be able to call 
I, I don't call out a, a phone carrier Verizon or call out, you know, Optimum, and somebody would answer the phone, and then you'd figure out how to do it. Now they are working so hard; they they laid off people, and they had an excuse to lay them off, which we understand. But then they changed the whole system so that they could do it a lot cheaper, and people didn't have jobs. And that's why it's just it's so important to support local business like Garden Gourmet, who employs people here. Like in the, the Burger House, right? I like the Cowboy Burger. You know that Cowboy Burger. Listen, I want to tell you something about what you're doing and what this is, and I want you to understand how important it is what we're doing now, um, because I've been in local media for a very long time. Um, how many people in the Bronx? 1.4 million people. You know how many people live in uh, in, in Boston? 600,000 people. But Boston has network television designed directly for those 600,000 people, has daily newspapers, more than one. One is the most famous paper, one of the most famous papers in the nation, the Boston Globe, right? If we are underserved as we know we are in housing and healthcare and, and you know all the other things we're underserved in, we've been abused from, from a, a climate and environmental perspective, we are also underserved with media. Riverdale Press, the Bronx Times, the Norwood News, which is strongly controlled by Montefiore Medical Center, Mott Haven Herald, and the Hunts Point Express are the only newspaper. Now, there are some ethnic newspapers, that's true, but are the only local newspapers we have, and they're all weeklies. Think of, if, if there's a, a, a Veterans Day parade, you know, like in, in the, the Bronx Veterans Day parade, it's not getting on the front of the, of the Daily News. It's no. not getting on the front of the New York Post. But if you're in Boston, they can have a picture on the front of the, of, of the Boston Globe. And that's the difference. And that's why what you have... Un, have instinctively understood to do to create a podcast just to let's really let's have, let it out just let it out that's right is very very important and i respect it tremendously and why i volunteered right away thank you you know just growing through. just growing up on 238th and review i felt like the people didn't really have a voice when it came to things in the community so you know i just hope that this outlet would it, it, it serves is. an outlet to give people a chance to tell their story to promote their business and ultimately that's what we're all about just promoting business and supporting local. You know, if, if I stood up and applauded, then you wouldn't hear me on the microphone anymore. But oh, no, no, no. But enough about me. So yeah, go ahead. let's talk about five-year plan. What is next for Gary oh. Axelbank? Are you going to be on like an island? And- well, well, you know, one would hope. Um, uh, but right now, in the for the immediate, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, I like it. I think I'm good at it. I think People benefit, the Bronx benefits from it. I'm passionate about the Bronx. I'm passionate about this type of work. I can do this type of work. I'm still, I'm not as young as I was, but I'm young enough and healthy enough to just want to keep doing it. Um, But what I am going to add is figure out how to do something with Bronx music to maybe pull together all the elements of things that we talked about. Have have a, a place where all the music uh, instructors can, you know, advertise or at least have a listing. I mean, you know, the money becomes an, an interesting right. concept, especially with people who are not taking in a lot necessarily. And then if they start spending more, they're going to charge people more. So I don't, I, that, that all has to be figured out. But but we've got to do more. You know, you had um, uh, uh, just uh, yesterday, of course, this is being recorded earlier, but you had a jazz um, show in front of uh, the the Bronx Burger House. Um, I was in the, before we went to you, we were in the East Bronx and there was a rock show and, and, uh, um, Bronx Park East. I know today, if there wasn't rain, the borough president was going to have a concert. We should have one place where you could say, "Hey, I want to see music in the Bronx. What should I do today?" Right, and right? we're, and we're also than, talented. There's so many people have such amazing. My goodness, talent. I saw uh, certainly the, the, the jazz folks you had and I have interviewed on on the Bronx Buzz uh, are incredible. Um, but I saw a um, acoustic guitarist who was just fantastic with original music, and I was like, "Well, somebody's got to hear this guy." <laughs> I mean, I, you know, he may not be able to make a million dollars off selling CDs, but he's talented enough to need exposure. And just creating that link between local businesses and the musicians and just providing a more robust Well, it, that's an aspect of this that um, you, you do instinctively, but... Um, 
there are so many places where there could be music, and and so that would benefit the musicians. It would benefit the establishments. Of course, there's it's a problem getting it set up. There's a technical thing involved, and of course, there's a financial thing because musicians don't want to pay a gig and not necessarily get paid. Right. And then a restaurant may say, well, you know, to pay two hundred bucks or maybe more if there are more players. Uh, I don't know that I have the revenue to to pay for that. Um, but I think there's got to be a way so that if the musicians are there, it builds the number of people who are in the house, and then that reflects so that the economy can work. I think it can happen. I'm not sure how to do it yet, but I, that, that would be a goal. So if you ask, what, what do I want to work on aside from what people know that I do? That's what you know, I would You're say. a great guy, Gary, even though you're a Mets fan living in the Bronx. But uh, you're not too that, bad. <laughs> that is one of the sweetest things anybody ever said to me. So um, where can we find out about the Bronx Buzz? Where can we find out about you if uh, you want to learn Bronxnet. more? Bronxnet.org, and then you go to the watch menu, and then each of the shows have a logo, and you can click the logo and see all of that. If you want to email me, use Gary at Bronxnet.org. Um, and depending on what, you know, if, uh, for anybody who says, hey, um, we want to maybe, would they ever want to do an interview about this? Just ask. If it's not for us, maybe I won't do it, but maybe there is somebody at BronxNet I know who will do it. Open um, has a broader uh, range of stuff that they include. In fact, that just came up. I met somebody who does PR for Con Ed, and they are changing some number system or something that they think will make it easier for, for um, uh, their customers. And they asked if they could come on my show, and I said, it's just not the kind of issue I would deal with. But I found them a, a, a show on uh, another show on Bronxnet, and they'll get a get a segment. So reach out. I mean, I, I, I that's one thing. Communication. I pick up the phone. I'll talk to anybody. I'll text anybody. I'll send an email. Yeah. Um, don't be nervous. Just take a chance. You know. I'm not nervous. No, (laughs) for them not to be nervous, they should take a chance. Well, thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much, Gary Axelbank, for joining us today for episode five of the Four Bronx Community Podcast. Special thanks to KRVC for allowing us to use your space here at 505 West 236. Until next time. Well, friends, that wraps up another episode of the Four Bronx Community Podcast. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, email me today at laura4bronx at gmail.com. Join us next time.